This episode brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is At The Turn. It's time for discussion and interviews about the world of golf you won't hear anywhere else. Here are your hosts, Nick Heidelberger and Joe Simons. Welcome to another edition of At The Turn. Joe and Nick here with you. Nick, British Open over. Jordan Spieth wins another major championship. What are your initial thoughts? Uh, Well, I had a feeling uh, after the way he started that he was going to win this. And definitely after yesterday... It's so typical Matt Kuchar to be in the hunt of a major and not get it. So it was no surprise that he won it. But definitely some uh, some flair today, the way Jordan played the first 13 holes compared to the last five. Uh, so it was definitely exciting. They brought the drama. But the result, I don't think anyone's too surprised about. Definitely a pretty remarkable day. We thought it was going to be a walk away. We talked yesterday on the phone and we were joking. It's just a matter of how much Spieth wins by. Kuchar took a one-shot lead late on the back nine, and Spieth just closes with a cavalcade of birdies, threw an eagle in there. Very impressive stuff. We're going to break it all down with Harvey Jameson in just a few minutes. He's an international golf writer. He was on the ground at Royal Birkdale earlier in the week, and so it'll be interesting to get his perspective, someone who was actually there. We're going to talk a little bit of women's golf as well. Assistant editor with Golf Digest will be joining us to talk about the new dress code regulations, a lot of controversy surrounding those, and a spike in popularity. The biggest growing segment of the game is actually girls under 18 years old. We'll tell you a little bit more about that. Tiger talk as well, because what's an episode of At the Turn without a little bit of Tiger Woods? And then Nick is going to do a little story time to close up the program. Nick, can you preview that for our fans? Um, Let's just say I had a miserable day on the course. How to deal with this, how not to deal with this. Well, it's always nice to have experience in certain parts of the game. (laughs) I got a lot in that department. Uh, We're going to join Harvey Jamison now. He is across the pond. He was at Royal Birkdale. We're going to break down the British Open right after this. Joining us now from across the pond is international golf writer Harvey Jamison. Harvey was on the ground at Royal Birkdale earlier in the week and, of course, following the action very closely. Harvey, quite a finish down the stretch. Jordan Spieth goes birdie, eagle, birdie, birdie, and pars 18 for a three-shot victory over Matt Kuchar. What's your initial takeaway? I need someone to pinch me. I'm literally speechless. It's um, You must all be absolutely over the moon, but I can't believe what I've just seen. I mean, we, last year we had the Battle of the Suns, Stenson and Phil, and then this year it was, I mean, I feel really bad for Matt Kuchar, but birdie eagle, birdie birdie, it was the most Jordan's B thing that could happen. Yeah, it almost is a little bit like last year how 
both golfers played really well down the stretch and one person really just took it in one rather than rather than somebody losing it with a mistake, even though it looked like that might be the case for Spieth in the middle of that back nine. Is this the kind of reputation the Open you think is building over the last couple of years with the drama it's brought? It's been, it's definitely got a much better reputation, I feel. I mean, you saw in Spieth's, uh, Spieth's um, speech afterwards when he was talking to all the fans, he was saying that, it's the it's the one trophy that every golfer wants to win. I am literally lost for words in what you've just seen over well the last five six holes, especially from the thirteen. I mean, how right was that? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the thirteenth hole. So at that point, Spieth and Kucher are tied on the tee, and Spieth hits one. They said on television about a hundred yards right of the fairway. And there was a roughly 20-minute delay. He was deciding what to do. He eventually takes it unplayable. He drops it back on the practice area, some 75 yards from where his ball landed. The spectacle of it was just amazing. He ends up saving an incredible bogey. But the whole tournament could have derailed at that point. Yeah, the exact number, I think, from the uh, the guys over on Sky Sports, which is where we're watching it on today, was 127 yards to the right But it's traveled so far right, it's gone past where the cameras were aiming, it's hit a, a man called George on the head on this mound, and it's finished in an unplayable eye. Watching him, he did take a very long time, um, and I didn't know what he was doing. He was behind the tightest tour truck at one point. You've got to get, take your hats off and applaud him for what he just did on 13. Yeah, it was a very creative play, because I was, I was texting some of my buddies saying, I've never seen a, a driving range that, that's not out of bounds before, and I've, uh, I've come close to quite a few driving ranges in my day. <laughs> Um, what about the very next shot he hit on that par three where he almost aced it? Uh, what kind of statement did that make to you? That he wanted to win. He probably gets too much of a harsh reputation for spending so long, and he was on the clock, I think. Well, not on the clock. He was threatened to go on the clock on about the 11th or 12th hole. But the statement of intent that, no, I'm going to take my time here. I want to win this tournament. Harvey, give us an idea of the differences on the grounds at Royal Birkdale, the venue for the Open Championship as opposed to watching it on TV? What's what's one or two things that we don't appreciate as viewers on television? The bunkers, they, I mean, I, I've been lucky enough to the last three years. So I was at St. Andrews when Zach Johnson won, and then Royal Troon last year with uh, Stenson and Phil. But the bunkers at Birkdale, A, there's so many of them. There's, I think there was a, a number thrown around of 170 plus maybe. I might not be totally correct on that, but something of that of that magnitude. There's so many of them. They differ in size and features. Some of them are really, really small. And you, I saw so many on Friday. There's some of them um, that have got little grass mounds in the middle, so you can either be you know, up against the face of that, or if you are, you know, you're coming in and you end up on the left or right side of it, you can be totally stymied to, to get out because you've got this big grass mound literally blocking your escape. The bunkers are definitely something that I didn't think were going to be as, as in the forefront of the tournament, but they were definitely big ones there. The roof as well, the fairways are immaculate. Hands down, the fairways were some of the purest that I've ever seen. There's not that um, that much elevation change. That like, some of the tees get higher than the fairway, but there's no like real drops that you you see in the past. But I'd say Big Dale as a venue. It's definitely got to be up there in some of the best open championship venues you can ever go to because it was just 100% pure. That's coming from someone who's been to a few. Um, and when you're at there, uh, you said you were there on Friday. Um, what's your yeah. strategy? Are you following one group or are you staying on a hole? Um, what's the best way to go about it when you're on site for a major championship? Oh, the, there's so many ways. Um, Friday, may, especially this week, wasn't 
definitely by far was not the best day to go. It's the weather. I mean, as soon as our, uh, the, the tickets came through and we, we started driving up, I, I, uh, I live where I live in relation to Birkdale is Newcastle and Birkdale's in Liverpool. And this, it's about three and a half hours, a, a good drive to get there. Um, and we didn't take into account many tr- uh, much of the traffic. So we left uh, where I live at uh, half past three in the morning, uh, pitch black. And it took us, we, we didn't get there until 8.30 in the morning. It took us about five hours straight driving to get there. You've got to experience it all, definitely. And I made a point of trying to follow some of the bigger groups. And we were lucky enough. We, had, we headed to the range straight away just to see who was out there, who was up for it, who was kind of swinging it free. So uh, straight away, we, uh, McElroy was there. So we, we watched him for a bit because you can't not go in and just admire how, the, the, how, much, you know, how, we, how far he hits it or the preparation that him and some of the other big hitters take for a tournament. It, it, it is definitely a must-see. Um, but we, I, I quite like the approach of um, just, just walking around grandstands uh, around the green and tees are brilliant. I mean, the fact that you can be on one hole, on, on the other side of the golf course, you hear a, a, a huge cheer. And that will be the same at every golf tournament. And it just makes it, at a major championship, I mean, it's, it's loud enough. But it, your mind sort of clicks and you think, heck, if it's as loud as this at a, at a major, how loud is it going to be at the Ryder Cup? Sort of little things like that. So the grandstands and tees, they're brilliant to be because you see the... You see what the players can do really up front because off the tee and on the greens and around the greens, you can't get much better, you know, make or break or clutch putts or different, different things that they need to do when you see it all firsthand. But I love walking around, sort of taking each different hole because there's some quite quiet holes, but I, I spend a lot of time around the seventh and eighth because they're, they're sort of at weird places in the golf course. And um, I would say they get a lot of their followers when the big groups are there, but when the big groups aren't there, it's, they're great places. Like I, I sat on a bank for about two hours on, on the Friday when it was really chucking it down with rain. I mean, my, my shoes were just soaked, but saw the likes of Matsuyama and Spieth come through. And it was players like that that maybe on the holes that don't get so much airtime. And I saw Spieth and Matsuyama play some of the best shots I've ever seen. So definitely walking around is, a, is probably the best to do. But if you can get your way to the front of a, of a gallery when there's big groups there, you've got to do that because seeing those guys up front that is what major championships are for. Okay, Harvey. I have to know this. When did you start calling it the Open Championship as opposed to the British Open? And if I call it the British Open on this podcast, is someone from the Royal and Ancient Golf Club going to send someone from MI6 out here to take care of me? Why is it called the Open Championship now as opposed to the British Open? Is this just an evolution? Has it always been called the Open out there? Can you give us a rundown of that? I do reckon that James Bond is already on his way because... <laughs> for me, it's, it's it's been the Open Championship for, forever. I, um, it was only really when I started getting into the media side of golf and writing, um, you know, for golf, that the British Open argument was ever brought into it. Obviously, getting to know a, a, a lot of the US guys, you guys, and how, how it's all brought about. Um, because for us, it's the US Open, and I'm I'm guessing is is it the Open? Is it do you call the US Open the Open? I don't know about you, Nick, but I, I refer to it as the U.S. Open. Yeah, the U.S. Open. I've never called it anything but the U.S. Open. Yeah. We would never call it the British Open. I mean, uh, it's, it's odd. I'm, I would say not many Brits like the word Britain. It's, it's sort of an odd one. Never really call myself British or whatever. But <laughs> it's not the British Open. It, it is the Open <laughs> Championship. And you, you see it on all the... I mean, the, the RNA do make a big thing of their, their uh, you know, their 
the publications and the advertisement everywhere. It's just the the open or like this year the 146 open. Um, but it's definitely always been the open for me. And sort of the the golf course or where it's going to be played always takes precedence. So it, it just is the open. I'd, I don't know if I could ever, you know, I feel like I would have to, I'd be cheating on the RNA if I caught the British Open. <laughs> well, there you have it. <laughs> well, we don't want you to do that, Harvey. He's Harvey Jameson, international golf writer. He was on the grounds at Royal Burkdale. Harvey, thank you so much for your perspective and your time. No worry, guys. I absolutely love being on and what a finish to the, uh, to, to the Open. 100%. Just amazing. Well, Joe, as you know, I'm a cable cutter, so most of the TV I watch is streaming, and so the British Open, or the Open Championship, as I, as I should now yeah, train whoa, myself whoa, to easy. call it, <laughs> I didn't get the full NBC stream, but I had access to like three other versions, so I could either watch a featured group, which was nobody worth watching usually, um, I could watch the spotlight, which was holes one and 18. And then after the leaders were off hole one, it was just hole 18 or the featured holes, which were 12, 13 and 14. So I missed Spieth's Eagle and a couple of his birdies there on the back nine. I did see all the drama, but it's a huge challenge for somebody like me to, to watch golf because there's not just one network that always has all the golf. It's split between CBS and NBC and, um, and Fox occasionally uh, for the U.S. Open. So it's hard for me, and I can't justify getting cable because it's like $60 a month, and the only time I ever would use it is to watch golf, which is maybe once or twice a month when there's a tournament that I can't miss. So, so yeah, it's it's been kind of a struggle, and I missed a good chunk of the Open Championship because, uh, because of that factor. To me, you missed the most exciting part of the tournament. That's when Spieth rolled in that 50-foot eagle putt. I scared my girlfriend, the neighbors, pretty much anyone within a half block radius. I just let out this huge shriek. It was so exciting. And I hate that you presently are not able to watch the live broadcast that's on conventional television on a cord cutting method. It just doesn't seem right. And I would assume that within the next two to three years, that's going to be available just because there are so many more people in your situation than there was a few years ago. Right. But if it was a situation where every tournament was on golf channel or like on one specific channel yeah. throughout the whole year. And I could just pay $150 a year and subscribe to that channel. I would do it. But you know, I had like a CBS subscription, but you know, that's a monthly fee. And if they don't have a tournament that month, it's just, you know, kind of a waste occupational hazard, I guess, of being a millennial <laughs> who doesn't want to pay ridiculous amounts of money for cable when there's just Netflix. Let's talk about our British Open performances. You picked Hideki Matsuyama. He looked real strong after three rounds. He started today with a triple bogey and never really got on track. He finished uh, in a tie for 14th. My pick, Paul Casey, had rounds of 66, 67, 67, but he hung a 77 on the board in round two, which really took him out of it, and he finished in a tie for 11th. So decent showings for our guys, but neither really threatened in the end. Yeah, not too bad. I picked Matsuyama based on the fact that he's he's very solid in all facets of the game. So I figured if he got hot anywhere, um, he'd have a good chance. He's not the kind of player who kind of lives and dies by like just one specific facet of the game. So I liked him as a pick, but you know he didn't quite pull through. Paul Casey after uh, after Friday was kind of out of the running. So sorry, Joe. It's okay. Even though he finished higher than my guy. We have we have we have one more major coming up. So there's always a chance for redemption. 
Yeah, I mean, soon the talk's going to be, is Jordan going to close the, the career Grand Slam, you know? He's but, got a shot uh, in a few get weeks. We that later. Yeah. So. Stay tuned for upcoming episodes of At The Turn for Jordan Spieth Career Grand Slam Talk. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk to a Golf Digest editor about the women's game. A very interesting conversation coming up. Joining us now is associate editor with Golf Digest, Keely Levins. Keeley wrote a very interesting piece that you can read online. We'll post a link to it about the biggest growing demographic in golf, girls under the age of 18. Keeley, can you tell us a little bit about the article? Yeah. Um, so the LPGA and USGA have a program um, called Girls Golf, which is really helping grow this section of golf that has been very small for a long time. And, um, They've put together a lot of uh, really encouraging stats that um, were brought to my editor and my attention. And the more we dug into it, you know, the more impressed we were by it. Um, And, yeah, young women are playing golf, uh, as hard as it can be to believe that, um, because golf has such a kind of the idea around golf is that it's for old men. Um, But more than ever, young women are playing, and that's so exciting. Lexi Thompson obviously is is a huge asset for women's golf in America. She has all the all the features they would want. She's young. She's charismatic. She's winning. Uh, how much does she have to do with the popularity of of golf, of women's golf in this country? Um, that's I mean that's not something that you know I obviously have like a stat on, but just <laughs> from watching the tour and watching the following of Lexi, I think that she has had a huge positive impact. Um, I was out at the Women's U.S. Open last week, and even Lexi, like, she wasn't playing well. She still had, like, the biggest crowds out there, and so many of the people following her were, like, very young girls. They're all, like, decked out in Puma gear, you know, they're, like, running around, if, and, like, they're trying to find her. Like, anywhere you walked on the course, you could hear some little girl be like, Mom, I want to go see Lexi. So she's definitely been a huge attribute. Um, and, you know, she's really athletic. And, like, she has this great, like, look about her that young girls see and are like, oh, wow, this is, like, a powerful young woman playing golf. I want to be like her. And I think that's hugely positive. Is it fair to say that she is the Ricky Fowler of the women's tour? The young kids dress like her. They want to be like her. She has this intrinsic cool factor that you can't really measure. It just seems like everyone wants to dress like Lexi just like they do Ricky. I know. It's so funny because they're both also um, Cobra Puma athletes. So I don't know if it's like a Puma thing <laughs> where like these really like vibrant colors are speaking to this yellow, this younger demographic um but yeah i think that she you can definitely like see a lot of parallel parallelism with her and ricky um because he definitely has that same kind of following but like with ricky you'll even see like grown men wearing all orange (laughs) which is kind of funny (laughs) keely you mentioned the prevailing narrative is that this is an old male game why hasn't the narrative of young women and girls and the popularity of the game in that demographic sort of become part of the narrative? I think in part it's because it's so new. 
Um, I think that, like, we're seeing a lot of these, like, big jumps in numbers of young women playing all in the, in the last, like, couple of years. Um, so I think it takes a while for a trend to, A, be noticed, and then, B, actually be spoken about. Um, so it is kind of, you know, interesting that I feel like we were some of the first people to actually write about this, but my hope is just that other publications will see this and want to write about it too because this prevailing narrative of golf being like old and dying is just like very annoying to hear because <laughs> it's not it's not accurate. <laughs> so there's a lot of attention being brought to women's golf by the, the Lexi Thompsons who are on the LPGA and winning, but there's also a lot of attention being brought to women's golf by the kind of Instagram golf model uh, type of athlete who may not be regulars on tour. Um, do you think that kind of attention is beneficial for women's golf still, or do you kind of see that as being the wrong kind of, of publicity? No, I don't think it's the wrong kind of publicity. I mean, I think, you know, any kind of publicity really is good publicity. Um, I think that like in the same way that like all these like male and female trick shot artists are bringing eyeballs to golf, like in a unconventional way. I think that like the Instagram kind of golf model is also bringing attention to golf. Um, and I, I mean, I know like women get some criticism for, you know, being kind of like golf models. And I think that that's just kind of silly, you know, like this is how they're interacting with golf and like, it shouldn't affect how you interact with golf, you know? Keely, switching gears. The LPGA okay. sent out a notice to players alerting them of a stricter dress code. Here are some of the high or low lights. Racer back with a mock or regular collar are no longer allowed. Plunging necklines are not allowed. Joggers are not allowed. Those are the high top shoes. Uh, length of skirt, skirt, and shorts must be long enough to not see the bottom area. Uh, a lot of players have responded to this, including Lexi Thompson. How do you view this? I know we had uh, an email go out about dress code at my office and my day job, and we just all kind of rolled our eyes because we know it doesn't affect the majority of people. So what's been the reaction right. on the LPGA Tour? Right, and, like, you probably don't receive a fine if you break <laughs> your dress code. I hope not. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the reaction on tour has, I mean, you've seen it a little bit on social media, like, you know, going back to Lexi, like she posted an old photograph of herself that was from like a photo shoot where she was wearing like vintage 1920s golf attire. Um, and was, you know, she put just like a funny caption just being like, well, I'm finally, you know, like, like eligible to play or whatever, like in line with uh, the dress code. And, you know, clearly as a joke, she like hashtagged it as a joke. But I think that there is some just kind of like, you know, like, why why are we telling these girls that, like, they can't really dress the way that a lot of athletes dress because the, there's a lot of young, really athletic, fit women on tour that I think see themselves as athletes, not, like, as golfers, as something kind of, like, adjacent to an athlete. Like, you look at tennis players, you look at track runners, you look at swimmers, like they're all showing a lot of skin and they're all like wearing athletic clothing that fits the athletic movements that they're making. So, I mean, it's a really tough conversation and I think it's a tough thing for the LPGA 
because, like, I, I mean, I don't envy them at all because they're dealing with a sport that has such a history of conservative dress, and they're trying to find a way to mesh that with the athletic dress of today. And, you know, this is the decision that they've made, and obviously not everyone is happy about it. Do you think part of it is generational, that this generation – the young stars, the LPGA Tour, as opposed to, say, the players that came before them. This is just sort of the accepted attire in golf now. There are a lot more outfits like this available, and they just weren't 15, 20 years ago. I want to take it to the men's side as well. It's not like anyone's complaining when Jason Day wears these skin-tight shirts. It's kind of the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Jason Day was even wearing joggers on the first day of oh, yes. the British Open this week. Like, it's um, it is, it's a funny conversation to like have with someone like my mom, who like played on tour in the '80s, and you know, like I'll play golf with her and wear outfits that she'll be like, "Oh wow," you know, like <laughs> like I wouldn't have worn that. And it's like, yeah, like you wouldn't have because it wasn't there. You know, like these athletic skirts and these athletic tops, it, like the, even the fabric like wasn't around. Um, so I think a lot of it is generational. Um, and it's, you know, golf is so rooted in its, you know, like customs that it's hard to change. And, you know, we're seeing that in the dress code on the men's and women's tour. Keely Levins, associate editor with Golf Digest. Thank you for your insight and time today. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for supporting At The Turn by listening to our podcast. If you want to support us in other ways, there are several other ways you can do that. Number one, go to Stitcher.com, the future of podcasting, and subscribe and rate and review and share At The Turn. Number two, I hope you're writing this down, go to Facebook.com, find At The Turn, follow us. Uh, Do the same thing on Twitter, tweet about us. Uh, You can also, if you're not onto Stitcher quite yet, you can go the old-fashioned route. Find us on iTunes and subscribe, rate and review. Do all those things in all those places, and uh, you will be rewarded handsomely. All right, Nick, all the heavy lifting is out of the way. Uh, I'm very excited for you to tell us this story that you have for us. Yeah, Joe, so I got to just do a little bit of setup for it because Please. I had a really, really miserable round on the golf course, but I have to like give myself a little bit of an excuse. <laughs> um, so here we go. I want to say it was like my eighth day in a row playing golf, which I would never, ever in the history of my life complain about. Uh, but I was a little tired, a little worn down. And earlier in the week, I had actually seen um, a golf instructor who gave me lessons like three years ago when I still lived in Moscow, Idaho. And I had like, paid him up front for eight lessons, but I moved away after I only took seven. And he's like, oh my God, Nick, hey, it's good to see you. I still owe you a lesson from three years ago. It's been really bothering me. We got to get together this week and I got to give you this lesson. I'm like, okay, cool. You know, we'll do it. So I was already exhausted. My golf game was already starting to kind of fall off the rails a little bit. And then I go and get this lesson, which kind of just confused me more. because it was just a kind of a quick thing and, you know, a bunch of new things to think about all at once. And then the next day, I was like, all right, I need to take take a step away from golf. But my good friend Bill had texted me, and he's one of the most fun guys you can play golf with. And he's like, hey, man, I'm playing golf today. You should come. And I was like, ah, okay, I'll do it. You know what? Like, who cares if it's going to be a bad round? And 
we get there, and then he runs into somebody else he knows who happens to be the assistant pro at this course, which is a kind of nice course, Palouse Ridge out in Pullman, Washington. Um, so three of us are playing, and it starts off rocky, which a lot of rounds do, but I don't really think too much of it. <laughs> but after like three or four holes, I just can't get the club face on the ball in any sort of productive manner. And so I'm just all over the course. I'm making all sorts of double and triple and quadruple bogeys. Um, anything from my like 40 yards in is pretty fine. But but a full swing, I was just not able to execute to save my life. And after about six or seven holes, somebody else joins up with us who knew the assistant pro. And he's like, oh, I'm having a terrible round. And he proceeds to shoot like even par the rest of the way. Um, <laughs> and... And not too long after that, I mean, there was nothing left for me to play for, but it was just like, man, how do I not make this miserable for everybody else? Because they're all shooting, you know, around par. Um, and I'm just sitting here hacking away and like slowing them down. And they're, they're saying, hey, great shot, Nick, for like the worst shots. Like Ugh. anything that goes forward, they're like, oh, good, good job, buddy. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> I'm beyond the point of like my my own pride is already gone. I'm no longer even embarrassed. I'm just trying not to ruin it for them. Um, and you know, I try. I kept my cool. I kept. I tried to keep a good attitude. And I was just thinking the, the last thing you want to do is like start throwing clubs or like screaming and cursing and like you know alienating yourself and, and feeling sorry for yourself. So I just tried to keep it light, kind of joke around, not talk about golf, talk about other things, and and. Uh, keep up as best I could. Uh, I don't know what, have you ever been with somebody like that or, or been in that situation or, or have, have any tips for handling that? I don't know, Joe. I don't really have any tips for handling it. I've been in that situation a couple of times where things are just going so bad. You're like halfway in the back nine and you're just thinking, I just have to survive. I'm in total survival mode right now. It's, it's, it's one of those things that happens to everybody. We all have terrible, terrible rounds where you're just thinking like, all right, I paid 50 bucks to be out here. I should be enjoying this. I'm having a miserable time. And it's just a matter. That's really the best way I can put it is you just have to get in survival mode. And you're right. Try to not ruin it for the people you're playing with. Because when you do start throwing clubs and swearing, you make a good point. You're just alienating yourself even further. And you already feel alienated because you're playing so badly at that point. So it's, it's a really tough thing to do. I don't have the answers. You know, I tried to think back to our first episode with the golf psychologist who was like, you know, just think of like, at least you're not in the office right now. And I was like, yeah, you know, that's true. But honestly, I couldn't wait for that round to be over. And <laughs> which is really sad to say, but I was just like, I do not, I don't belong on a golf course. This is the last place on earth I should be right now. I just needed to get home into my bed, <laughs> go hug my mom. I don't know. <laughs> you know who else, unfortunately, does not belong on a golf course right now? Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all. Tiger Woods, yeah. So Tiger, Tiger had a he had himself a week. He really didn't do too much this week, but uh, some things of note from Tiger Woods. Uh, Tiger Woods is ranked. Joe, I got I got to cut you off right. Oh, there. please. Just to say, I saw like our show sheet rundown because we're so organized, and it was like a highlight, like Tiger's big week. And I'm like, what? What did Tiger do that's his big week? Oh no. And then I read, you know, what you put in there. So uh, yes, okay, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. We do have Tiger talk, but it's not positive Tiger talk. For the first time since 1993, Tiger Woods is not one of the top 1,000 ranked golfers in the world. As of this episode airing, posting rather, he is 1,005 in the world right now. That 
makes sense because he hasn't done much in the past four or five years in golf, but it's just weird to think about Tiger Woods out of the top 1,000. He was ranked higher when he was an amateur in the mid-90s than he's ranked right now. Well, it makes sense. I think, and I'm not 100% sure, but I think the official world golf rankings are based on the, the last two years. And, and he's just not playing. And when he is, he's not making cuts or anything or, or doing anything special. So that's no surprise. And uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, it's weird. I definitely agree. It's weird to see, to think about. But, I mean, it makes sense. I wouldn't expect It's not like he's <laughs> ascending up the world rankings or anything. <laughs> even, even weirder than that, and we retweeted this from the At The Turn Pod Twitter account, Tiger Woods sent out a tweet Friday evening, midway through the British Open. So maybe Tiger wants to tweet about who's winning. He wants to tweet about Jordan Spieth, maybe the conditions of the course, how tough it was out there. No, no, no. Tiger Woods wants to tweet about his sweet new pool table with a cool Raiders logo in the middle of it. That's all he did. He sent out a tweet of his pool table, no reference to the British Open. It's like Tiger Woods is just this man in his 40s now, proud of his man cave. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty random. Um I guess he's super proud of the Raiders. I wonder if he's going to be a, a Las Vegas Raiders fan or if it's just a last-ditch effort to uh, support him while they're in Oakland. You know, I always assumed he would be, like, a Niners fan. He doesn't strike me as a Raiders guy, but if it's on his pool table, it must be the way it is. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I didn't get too much out of that one either, <laughs> <laughs> So, not necessarily an eventful week for Tiger Woods. We no, just have no, that he's dropping in the rankings that. and has a sick new pool table. So, that's what's going on for Tiger right now. I hope something. I hope something more exciting happens with him sometime in the next two weeks, so we can uh, do do something a little more interesting on Tiger. Next Our time. next edition of Tiger Talk has to have a little more than this. I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> well, that that does it for this episode of At the Turn. I hope you enjoyed the 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 Open Championship as much as I did. Harvey's going to be listening, and I guess we have to call it the Open from now on. No more British Open. Yeah, I'm going to try to make that adjustment, make that a personal habit. Our thanks to to Harvey and Keeley, our two guests today. Uh, Thanks to Nick. And uh, thanks to listeners out there. We'll see you next time. See you next time. I'm Lacey Evans. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time at The Turn.